Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Good morning. Our current series uh, on Sunday morning is called Devoted. It's based on Acts chapter 2, recalling uh, how at Pentecost Jesus was proclaimed by Peter. And 3,000 believed were baptized. Very soon these new believers were all gathering together in homes in Jerusalem. And we read in Acts 2.42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And awe came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. They devoted themselves. This is our current series. To be devoted is to be steadfast. It's to be committed. It's a frame of mind that determines to put certain things first, not to let anything divert you or distract you. And so we're looking at what the first Christians gave themselves to. And in this series, our aim is to be as practical as possible. It's an equipping series to help us to do these things well, to grow as disciples of the Lord Jesus. Are you up for that? Yes. 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 Good, excellent. So we've already looked at devotion to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship. It was meant to be the breaking of bread this morning, but I've swapped dates with Mark Robb. He's going to do that in a couple of weeks' time. So we're just a little bit ahead of the text now. This morning we're thinking about being devoted to prayer. Prayer. This is such a, a big subject. Prayer is such a key in the life of any church. This morning we've been seeing how prayer works. We've had Joy giving us her testimony right now of how God answers, answers prayer. So devoted to prayer. But I need to register this just before we go any, any further, that our starting point is not really devotion to prayer, is it? It's devotion to God. It's devotion to the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Prayer is about a relationship with God himself. It's spending time with somebody we love. It's spending time with somebody who loves us, just talking, listening, just being with the living God. That's what it's about. It's devotion to him, and prayer helps us in our devotion to him. Devotion or devoted to prayer. Now, that kind of title brings to mind spiritual giants I've read about. How about you? Sometimes you read a book about somebody and their prayer life, and you read about them scaling the highest peaks of prayer. And how does that make you feel? Well, it makes you feel inspired, but it also is quite intimidating, isn't it? And actually, prayer is one of the easiest subjects to make Christians feel ashamed about. It's extremely easy to make any Christian feel like they're not doing very well when it comes to prayer. But my dear friends, guilt is a very poor motivator. Okay, so we're not going to do any motivation by guilt this morning. Grace is a much better motivator. And so this morning we want to be inspired to be going further in prayer. It's a throne of grace that we approach when we approach God in prayer. I can't imagine anybody scaling higher heights of prayer than Jesus himself. Can you? And yet he didn't seem to make his disciples feel guilty. Instead, they were drawn to him like moths around a light bulb. Teach us to pray. We want to be able to have a prayer life. We want to be devoted to prayer like you 
Jesus. Now, I know there are, there are better people qualified to preach on prayer this morning, okay? I know that. But I've learned a few things along the way about prayer. And this morning, what I want to do is to focus on one big message. And my big message this morning is, when it comes to prayer, be yourself. Okay? When it comes to prayer, be yourself. How other people go about praying can help you, but remember, you are a one-off. You are unique. Well-meaning people can sometimes do more harm than good when they lay on us one particular way of spending time with God in prayer and developing your relationship with him. And often it goes like this. You have to start the day with a quiet time. And you've got to start the day with at least 30 minutes quiet time, maybe an hour, by yourself. Now, this is perfect for some people. In fact, it might be perfect for many of you here this morning. Some of you might have done that for 40 years, and I take my hat off to you. But not all. And if this is set as the gold standard for prayer, then a lot of people are going to feel condemned. All right? Yes, Jesus got up early and he prayed. But he also prayed at many other times and in many other ways. And his prayer life was so rich that the disciples wanted to pray like him. They were Jews. They, they knew about saying prayers in the temple, in the synagogue, in the, in the home. There was something so fresh. There was something so real, so full of life about Jesus' devotion to the Father in prayer. And they were drawn to this Jesus. It wasn't just some little formula there was something much richer and broader than that. So this morning, I want to challenge any one-size-fits-all approach to prayer. We're not all the same. What works for one person does not work for another. What makes me tick may leave you cold. And if we try to squeeze ourselves into somebody else's mold, we'll soon get discouraged. You know, some people love to spend hours alone with God. They're just made that way. They can spend hours just reflecting on the goodness of God. And they have an enormous capacity for prayer, personal prayer, private worship. Other people find solitude suffocating. They find like they're in a, a prison cell. It's, it's, it's just too difficult for them. But if you inject a dose of relationship, they begin to thrive. They love it in marriage, praying with their husband or their wife. They love getting one-to-one -one with somebody else to pray. Maybe a prayer triplet. Some of the guys here have had prayer triplets for many years. And these can be enriching, and they can stimulate your life so that you do actually find it easier to spend time with God one-to-one -one because of that. Some need to have their mind fully engaged and filled with biblical truth to be able to, to pray. And, and so, you know, that's how they operate. Other people, they find speaking in tongues brings them straight into the presence of God, bypassing their mind altogether. They get into God's presence much more quickly that way. They're just different. 
These people are made differently. We talk about being wired differently. Some people relate closely to God outside. They want to be outside. They don't want to be stuck in a room. They want to be out in the open air, under the sky, in creation. That's where they find they can engage with God. Other people, they're like an armchair, a cup of coffee, and their worship playlist. Yes? We're all different, okay? Jesus said something really interesting. He said, when you go, when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Go into your room. You know, I don't think Jesus was necessarily talking about an actual room in a, in a house, because most humble dwellings at that time had just one communal space. It was for eating, it was for living, it was even for sleeping. The whole family slept in the whole area and the animals were there as well. Very few people had a room of their own. It's a modern luxury to have a room of your own. Susanna Wesley, in the 18th century, the mother of the great John Wesley and Charles Wesley, she rarely had a room where she could be alone because she had so many children. Instead, famously, she would pull her apron over her head to pray, and that became her room. That was her room, folks, the apron over her head. And the children soon learned not to bother her when the apron went over her head. Find rooms which help your devotion to God. <laughs> Libby's planning to pull her... Pull out, what are you going to pull over your head, Libby? Um, I said she had 17 children. 17, did she? My goodness, I didn't know that. That's a, all the more reason to pull your apron <laughs> over your head. Now look, I'm, I'm, I'm stimulated by change. I'm one of these people that needs constant change to keep fresh. You know, I, I need that in every area of my life, except my faith in Jesus, my marriage, and my football team. Okay? So I need constant change to keep fresh. And it's true when it comes to prayer. So I envy sometimes those people who are so consistent, they have one little thing, one little way of praying, and they consistently do it all through their Christian life, and they keep fresh. I can't do it. I need constant change to help me. Now, other people might identify with that. I don't know. But that's why I like John 14, where Jesus says, In my Father's house, there are many rooms. Now, look, Jesus says he's preparing a place for us in this great house. But we can explore it right now by faith. We're sons and daughters of the king. There are many rooms to meet the king in. There are many ways in which we can spend time with the King of Kings. So when it comes to prayer, seeking time with your Heavenly Father, instead of a three-bed semi-detached, think Buckingham Palace, folks. <laughs> Buckingham Palace has 775 rooms over five floors. So when it comes to spending time with the King of Kings by faith, we already inhabit a palace, and we can find his throne of grace in many different rooms. So I'm going to invite you this morning to engage your imagination. Okay, remember the C.S. Lewis session that Ben led? Engaging your imagination. And I want to take you on a virtual tour. 
this morning of some of these rooms. And for this purpose, maybe we should think in terms of a more modest royal house. How about this one? This is actually very close to Buckingham Palace. Some of you will recognise where it is. <coughs> now, we don't have time to explore uh, each of the rooms in any depth. So what we're going to do is just take... I'm going to take you around and open doors, just a little bit ajar, to peek in these different rooms, OK? You can visit these rooms in this palace in terms of prayer at any time. You can visit them for a minute or you can visit them for an hour. These are different rooms you can meet with God in. A few of these rooms are best suited for you to be by yourself, but most of the rooms you can enjoy with other people in there as well. So take a deep breath, okay? Take a deep breath, and this is going to be a whistle-stop tour, and I'm going to be your tour guide, okay? So first of all, the lobby area in this wonderful big house. The lobby area offers us a variety of rooms to prepare and to tune in our spirits when we want to pray. We look, open the door, and there's the quiet room. And on the quiet room wall is a text, and it simply says, Be still and know that I am God. We live in a noisy world, folks. Every day, media grabbing for our attention, all sorts of stuff around us. Sometimes we just need a time of quietness. There's another room, the Thanksgiving room. And on this wall... We read Psalm 104, 100 verse 4. I will enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. That is a great way to tune your spirit, isn't it? Thank you, Lord, for your love for me that you gave yourself in Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for the way you've looked after me through the years, the way you've revealed yourself to me. Thank you for taking me through this tough time. Thank you for my husband, my wife, my family. Thank you for work, for health. Thank you for answers to prayer. And you, your spirit gets tuned very quickly. There's another room there, what I call the promise room. The promise room. If, as we heard this morning, you're going through a time of pain, the promise room is a great place to start and to tune your spirit in to the Lord. You look at your Bible again, that Bible where you've got verses underlined. Look again at some of those precious promises that God has made. The great George Muller, yes, he said, I need to get my soul happy in the Lord before I can pray. Well, this is a great way to get your soul happy in the Lord, to tune in to him to be able to pray the promise room. Sometimes it's just reading something enriching that will focus your eyes on Jesus. One of my favorite books is John Piper's Seeing and Savoring Jesus Christ. The Longing Room is the next one. This is a strange title, but uh, you'll see what I, I mean in a moment. Most of us go through periods when we just don't feel like praying. We just don't feel any inclination to draw near to God. Why is this? There's a simple explanation. Jesus explained it in the Garden of Gethsemane. On the evening before he died on the cross for my sins and yours, 
He asked the disciples to pray with him, three special friends, and then he found them sleeping. And he went back and he said, could you not, you not watch with me for one hour? The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And there's the explanation. This is why we don't always feel like praying. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. That's a simple description of our outer and our inner worlds. Our outer world is characterized by by flesh, by physical humanity with its strengths and its vulnerabilities. Our inner world is described in terms of spirit, and there's an everyday tension between your flesh and your spirit. And in particular, prayer is not on the agenda of the flesh. Sleep is what the flesh is good at. Prayer is spirit work. When it comes to prayer, the flesh doesn't offer much help. You know, this is much more than a matter of temperament, folks. It's not just a case of, oh, my temperament is such that I find difficult prayer. No, it's basic in your, in your, in your humanity. Your flesh does not like to pray. But, though the flesh is weak, Jesus says, your spirit is willing. If you've been born again, if you're a new creation, you are predisposed to pray. You want to pray. You long to pray, don't you? Even when you're dry, even when it's difficult, even when you do feel far away from God, you want to pray. Why? Because the spirit of the living God is dwelling in you. And you can ask him, Holy Spirit, help me to pray. This is the longing room. And if you haven't got the longing, ask, pray for the longing for the longing, okay? It's all seeking him, the longing room. Okay, we're going to have to leave the lobby room now and go downstairs. Take a few stairs downstairs into the, into the basement. And there are some simple rooms in the basement of the king's great house where there are many rooms. And the first is what I call the secret room. This room is all about intentionally developing your inner world. Now listen, we all have a secret room. The question is, is it a place where the king is at home in your secret room? Jesus said this, we've heard it before, when you pray, go into your room, close the door, pray to your father who is unseen and your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And the word secret there is the Greek word kryptos, from which we derive our English word crypt. In other words, it's a vault, it's a cellar, it's a place that's hidden. But luck, the lovely thing about this is that we can develop a secret room where there are no cobwebs, where there's no grime, it's not a place to dump our rubbish, it's a fragrant place. It's a beautifully furnished place. It's a place fit for the king. That's what I want my secret room to be like, don't you? When the lid is lifted off your secret life, there's nothing to be ashamed of. It's actually lots of stuff in there that has been just for his pleasure, just to share with him, not to talk about with other people. You say things, you do things out of that secret place that only, only he knows. That's a lovely thing to develop in your life, isn't it? A secret room. There's also what I call the adoration room. This is where you just get lost in wonder, love, and praise.
Now, contemplatives, if you're of that disposition, you will love this space. This is a place where you can enjoy solitude, listening to God more than talking. But all worshippers love the adoration room. They all, they all love to make music and sing to the Lord in the worship room. This is a great place, and it's great because it's soundproofed. And you can raise your voice and you can shout and you can do all sorts of silly things in the presence of the Lord because you're just in his presence, in the adoration room. That's a great place to be. Some of you spend a lot of time in the adoration room. Usually those who lead worship love the adoration room. Sometimes um, I talk to one or two guys who are involved in the, in the worship team and you just need to light the touch paper and they'll start talking about worship. And they're just, it's, it's living and breathing, that whole thing. And then there's the exercise room. This is the place where you've got all the equipment, okay, in the exercise room. Somebody might call it the gymnasium. This is a place for certain spiritual disciplines that will help you to build up spiritual muscle, inner strength. And one of the big spiritual disciplines that you can exercise sometimes in this room is fasting with prayer. Fasting with prayer. This is one of these disciplines that expresses that you are more hungry for God than you are for food. You are more hungry for God than you are for box sets on the TV. You're more hungry for God than match of the day. You are more hungry for God than the computer or the games console, whatever. You're hungry for God. Again, John Piper uh, wrote a book about this, and he used that in his title, about being hungry for God. That's what fasting is, is all about. That's not something that a lot of people do at all. It may be a room that's a bit neglected for many of us. So this is maybe a time just think, I must open that door and spend a little time in that room. Let's see what God does in the exercise room. Okay, we've spent enough time in the basement. We've got to go up the stairs again in our virtual tour, back to the ground floor. Uh, and there are some important day-to-day -day rooms on the ground floor. Uh, there's what I call the writing room here. And this is for those who love keeping a journal. Now, some of you may love to keep a journal, keep a daily record of what God has done. I've got a friend in Northumberland called Alan Reed. He's a professional artist. He's done this all his Christian life. And if you go into his, uh, his workroom, his studio, you'll see a shelf and he's got diaries stretching by years and years of his journals. Every day he journals. He walks out with the dog, he prays, he comes back, he spends time with God and he journals. Every January the 1st, I try it. By January the 4th, guess what? <laughs> I've abandoned it. But some people just love to journal. They love to write down what God has said to them. Maybe they write down their prayers. Maybe they write down again uh, how they're feeling. Perhaps they write songs and poetry in, that, in, the, in the writing room. But this is a, a very important room for some people because that's the way they're wired. They love to have a pen in their hand and uh, a book in front of them. And then there's the, the drawing room. The drawing room, and uh, I use that title with tongue-in-cheek, but basically it is for those that God speaks to in pictures, okay? And creatives love 
this space. And it's full of music, usually. The drawing room is full of music. You could also call it the music room. It's just full of melody. It's a lovely place to be. And some people just engage with God by painting, by sketching, perhaps by illustrating a Bible verse. These days, there are some wonderful colouring exercises you can do with wonderful Celtic designs or, again, Bible verses. Poetry. Some people do patchwork. There are all sorts of ways that creative people engage with God. Now, there are some of those things I will probably never do. I'll probably never do patchwork, okay? But there are other things that maybe I can do in the, in the drawing room. And then there's the book room, which I spend more time in than I should. The book room is a, is a room lined with devotional books, inspiring biographies. So there might be, there's Andrew Murray's, with Christ in the school of prayer. That will help me. Or there's The Pursuit of God by A.W. Tozer. That's a great book. That will help me draw near to God. Or biographies, Behind the Rangers, the story of J.O. Wilson working amongst the Lisu in, uh, in southwest China. That's a great room to be stimulated for those who love reading. C.S. Lewis, the great C.S. Lewis, said this, For my own part, I tend to find the doctrinal books often more helpful in devotion than the devotional books. I believe that many who find that nothing happens when they sit down or kneel down to a book of devotions would find that the heart sings unbidden when they're working their way through a tough bit of theology with a pipe in their teeth and a pencil in their hands. I'm not sure about the, the pipe and the teeth, but um, that, that, that conjures up pictures of Popeye for me. But basically, you get the idea that actually there are books and sometimes solid theology. Wayne Grudem's Systematic Theology ends every chapter with an attempt to launch you into worship as a result of theology. The attempts sometimes work and sometimes don't in that book, but you get the emphasis there. Sometimes, actually, in the book room, you know, even charismatics can be helped by books of prayers. So over the years, I've used a number of things. A Diary of Private Prayer by John Bailey I used for a long time. Written prayers on one side, a blank page on the other, where you can write your own notes there. And then there's the dining room. The dining room, what's that all about? The dining room, as far as prayer is concerned, is about a, a regular rhythm to prayer. Consistent times of meeting with God, sitting down with him, whether you feel hungry or not, because you know it's good for you. You have regular Dining times, breakfast, lunch, evening, meal. You know you do that to keep healthy, even if you're not starving of hunger. Gordon MacDonald's Ordering Your Private World is a bit of a classic. If you've never read it, you will find it really helpful. I started out as a Christian reading the Scripture Union's Daily bread, daily notes, reading notes can help you. They can get you into regular uh, devotional time. Watchman Knees, A Table in the Wilderness, again, is a great little book to help you stimulate your prayer life. The prophet Daniel in the Old Testament had enemies circling him. He was under threat of death 
Should he bow to anybody but King Darius? And yet he went to his room, he opened the windows publicly, and it says three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. It was his regular pattern. There was his dining room. He had a regular time, a rhythm. Most of us need to have some kind of consistent pattern if we're to have a fresh devotional life. Because what can be done at any time and in any way tends to be done at no time and in no way. Okay? But remember, remember this, your circumstances change through the years. You have to be flexible. When you were a single young man or woman, it was different from when you got married. When you got married and there was just the two of you, it was different from when you had 19 children. Okay? Your circumstances change, so you have to be flexible, but even then you need to have some kind of pattern. The dining room is a really important uh, room for anybody who wants to stay alive spiritually. Right now, upstairs, we've got to walk some more stairs now. Are you ready for this? Have you got enough puff left? We're going to walk upstairs now to the first floor and we're going to find, thankfully, some really nice peaceful rooms on the first floor that are available to us. There's the soaking room. The soaking room. And on the wall here is a wonderful text from John 15, Abide in me. Isn't that lovely? Just abide. Just be there with him. And that's a lovely place to be in prayer. You don't need to say anything. Just be with him. Simon Holly, who leads King's Arms Bedford, calls this pickling. Pickling. You go in a cucumber and you come out a pickle. Okay? It changes you being in the presence of the living God. And some of you will know already that the bath is where I soak. Literally, it is the soaking room for me. So I prepared myself... Not particularly my message, but I prepared myself for this message in the bath. We need a soaking room, somewhere where we just are being with him. Also, on this first floor is the meditation room. I'm not talking here about Eastern-style meditation, where you empty your mind, but filling your mind with biblical truth, taking a scripture and lingering over it. Do you know, we read the Bible too quickly, and some of us have got a very worthy ambition of reading the Bible in the year, but what happens? You rush it. You just aim to tick that little thing at the end of the day to say you've done it. Okay, there's a place for reading the Bible in, the, in a year, but please, don't, don't substitute it for lingering over a verse, or even a, a phrase, or a word, letting it soak into you meditating on it, letting it draw you nearer, filling your heart, your soul with this biblical truth. And what you'll find is that that will lead to prayer. It will overflow and you will find yourself praying scripture back to God, praying the scriptures. This is probably the single most thing that's helped me over the years in terms of prayer, praying the scriptures. It was one of the great themes of a remarkable woman who lived in the 17th century called Madame Jean Guyon. She spent 25 years in confinement, in prison, for her faith. Many of those years were in the Bastille in Paris. And her devotional literature, written during that time, influenced many in later centuries. John Wesley, George Muller, Hudson Taylor, Watchman Nee. And she, she prayed the scriptures. 
That's a great place to be. You can be sure you're praying in the will of God when you pray the scriptures. You're praying his own word back to him. Camel Mark Alpine, years ago, wrote a lovely little book, The Practice of Biblical Meditation. Well worth getting if you can, probably on eBay. Meditation room. And then the restroom. Not what the Americans mean by restroom, I hasten to add. This is where you lay your head and you sleep. Those last minutes of the day in his presence. Maybe this is a precious time for some of you. You quiet your, in your mind. You have pillow talk. Okay, pillow talk. Chatting through the day with the Lord. That's a time and a place for many of you to commit your spirits to the Lord in sleep. If you're wakeful, then you can spend time with him as you rest. He may speak to you in dreams. Or on waking, inspiration might flow, ideas might come, because you're refreshed and you've been in his presence even when you sleep, the restroom. Okay, further up top, we've got a few more stairs to climb into the loft area, the top floor, because in the, on the top floor are some high-intensity rooms. Okay, and the first is the intercession room. This is a room with prayer lists on every, every wall. You're praying for family. You're praying for friends. You're praying for your church. You're praying for people you've promised to pray for, people who've asked you to pray. You're carrying national, international uh, events before the Lord. You're giving prayer support for, for, for specific ministries. Workers overseas are on your heart. Maybe God's put a particular nation on your heart. Some of you years ago, like me, might have read Rhys Howell's Intercessor by Norman Grubb. The story of a man from a Welsh mining village who believed that world events could be changed by prayer. Wow, read that book and I defy you to be uh, anything but challenge, the intercession room. Some of you are really at home in the intercession room. Others of us don't spend enough time in there. But maybe it's a room that we can spend a little bit more time in. The war room. The war room is about spiritual warfare. Warfare, that is your strength. You wrestle in prayer like Epaphras in the New Testament. Your key text is Ephesians 6 about putting on the armour of God and praying with all kinds of prayers in the Holy Spirit. Praying in tongues is a powerful weapon for bringing down strongholds, you find. The power of praise is something that you've discovered in the war room. The power of praise, again, to defeat the enemy. This is a room that attracts real prayer warriors, the war room. And then there is the revival room. The revival room. On the wall in this room is the text Isaiah 64.1. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. God draws you into this room from time to time. He puts a passion in you. Prayer for revival. Like those two elderly ladies, both in their 80s, Peggy and Christine Smith. One blind, the other doubled up with arthritis. Praying in their small cottage on the island of Lewis in the Hebrides in 1949, praying every morning for months upon months for months, convinced God wanted them to pray because he wanted to visit their island, and he did in an extraordinary way, the revival room. Oh, we're high up in the loft, but we've got to come down now because we're almost finished the virtual tour, but not quite. 
we've almost come to some of the most important rooms because the main doors, front and back, lead us outside the house itself to and from our real living rooms. These are living rooms, folks. Most of our life is spent out there, living, okay? Out there where other people are. And the workplace is one of our most important living rooms. We don't leave prayer behind when we go to work. You face many stresses in the workplace, challenges, dilemmas in the workplace. Your Christian faith is often under focus, under challenge. And Jesus is there with you in the workplace. You know, he proved a better fisherman than Peter on Galilee. Peter was an experienced fisherman. He knew Galilee inside out. And yet it was Jesus who got him to the place where he could catch a lot of fish. So take Jesus with you into the workplace. He can help you in your particular field. He knows more about it than you do. And many of you know all about this. You shoot up arrow prayers like Nehemiah did. You shoot up arrow prayers throughout the day. Oh, God, help me here. In the 17th century, a, Carla, a Carmelite called Brother Lawrence famously learned to live out the Apostle Paul's words about praying without ceasing. And he, he thought of prayer as, and I quote, a habitual, silent and secret conversation of the soul with God. Much of his work was very boring. It was mundane. It was routine. But he said his conversations with God while he did his routine work, and I quote, often causes me to have feelings of inward rapture and sometimes outward ones. They are so great that I'm forced to have to moderate them and conceal them from others. You may have to do that when you're praying in the workplace. You can take God with you. You're with, you're with him. Very briefly, I've run out of time by the clock up there, but I'm going to take more time. Who cares? <laughs> I'm usually very good with timekeeping, but I'm going to make, take a little bit more time, if that's all right. Enjoying creation. This We've already touched on this. Out and about, some people love to pray, you know, whether it's a garden, whether it's a park by the sea, lift your heart. Prayer walking. The life groups have done this more recently. But actually, there are lots of ways you can prayer walk. Um, you know, some, you know I, I, I take 15 minutes to walk down to, to Wyndham from where we live. I can pray the Lord's Prayer as a framework, a scaffolding pr for prayer between leaving the house and arriving uh, at, at, at the cross in, in Wyndham. On the way back, if I want to, I could pray Psalm 23 back because these are things I know I don't have to have a book even a bible I can pray Psalm 23 on my way back the Lord's my shepherd thank you Lord you're my pastor thank you Lord you look after me you can just pray the Lord's prayer you can pray it back to him but of course sometimes it's intentional sometimes God puts on your heart pray around these streets pray in that neighborhood Pray for that household, that family. Pray for that person that you pass who's walking the dog every day when you walk to town. When traveling, some of you spend hours traveling on planes, trains, and automobiles. And you use the time to pray. Meditate in worship and pray. Sometimes you use your, your audio equipment. Serving others. That is a key way of engaging with God. Mother Teresa's life was one big prayer. She believed every time she served somebody, she was meeting Jesus. 
She saw Jesus in them. She was engaging with the Lord every time she gave herself to somebody in prayer. On a retreat, some people love to have a, a day, even a half day, just spending time with God, getting away, borrowing somebody's house. When I was in Northumberland, I would take the car up, park at a particular place on the coast, and spend a half day walking the cliffs and back again. A Bible and a notebook, that's all I needed. Sometimes that's what we need, a retreat, get away. And then on mission, when you embark on a scary venture of faith, I tell you, you are thrown in God and you pray. There's nothing like taking a leap of faith to make you pray. Again, in church planting, I learned the wisdom of Jesus teaching the disciples. He says, the harvest is plentiful, the laborers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest for thrust out workers into his harvest field. Boy, did I learn to pray that one when we were uh, uh, church planting in Northumberland. Okay, you'd be able to think of other rooms. I could think of other rooms because the Father's house has many rooms. Are you getting the message? Actually, I must mention one more. One more room. There's a room we don't get to enter until God himself opens the door. There's a hidden door. It leads to a glorious face-to-face -face meeting with the King of Glory. We don't get to find it until we breathe our last breath. But when we walk through this door, we find ourselves in the full glory of the King of Kings. You know, some get a glimpse of this beforehand. That's what happened to the Apostle John. A door opened in heaven and he caught a glimpse of the throne room. Now, when we spend time now with the king in his house of many rooms, there'll be no fear when we walk through that door. When I wrote that, I thought about Sue Underwood. I thought about a lovely lady who, you know, in recent months has gone to be with the Lord, and she knew him. She'd walked through many of these rooms. She'd spent many, many a time in many of these rooms with him. So when it came to walking through that room, it was no great trauma. It was a great joy. So be yourself. You don't live in a one-roomed dwelling. Be inspired by others, yes. Be prepared to learn from them. But don't assume that their pattern will work for you or feel condemned when it doesn't. This is the last thing I'll say before I put a, a slide up that will give us some pointers. I was absolutely astonished at the reaction of, of one elder's wife when I shared some of this at a day's leadership lectures in Sheffield a few years ago now. She broke down in tears and she said it was the most liberating thing she had heard in 20 years as a Christian. For all that time, she said she'd felt second rate because she couldn't live up to the picture she had of devotion in prayer. She imagined it had to be the model where you spend at least an hour each day alone with God. And she tried it. She tried it many times. But after a few days, she'd failed to keep it up. And the result was she felt condemned. And what I shared had been liberating. If you identify with that and have felt yourself second rate, then in Jesus' name, be set free. In Jesus' name, be set free to be yourself, to enjoy exploring different ways of being in his beautiful presence. Now, as the band come back on platform, there's a slide going to go up. There's only three minutes, 56 seconds to close. 
but who cares? Which prayer rooms do you already spend most time in? What does that tell you about yourself? There's something to think about, to ponder. What does that tell you about yourself? Which rooms do you, you just naturally go to? That's great. That tells you a lot about who you are. And that's great. Embrace that. Are there rooms you think you'd like to explore for the first time? Some of the rooms maybe I've mentioned, maybe the others I haven't. It's good to experiment. It's good to be stretched. Stretch yourself into a room you don't think you'll enjoy. You might find you enjoy it. Meeting with him there. Are there rooms you once visited regularly, but you don't do that so much now? How about venturing in again? Perhaps this morning something has just stirred you afresh. And then finally, over a longer period, why not plan to give every room a try? But be yourself. Be in grace rather than under law. God bless you. Amen.